The Eddie B. Sit edition, an audio series of the Talmud Bavli. Masechet Yoma has been dedicated in memory of Mazal Bat Esther Baghdadi and Yosef Ben Mazal Baghdadi by their family. Ruach Hashem Tanihem Began Eden. Amen. Daf Tet. Today's daf has been dedicated by Mr. Adam Azrak, a pioneer member of our Dafayomi class. Uh, we bless Adam that he should continue to have much success, Prasat Hashem, in all his endeavors, Oshir ve Oshir ve and much Nahat from his children. Amen. Today's daf is being studied by Nishmat Abraham ben Esther. Ruach Hashem Tanihinu Began Eden. Amen. We are beginning today's daf on Dafhet Amud Bet at the two dots towards the bottom of the uh, Amud. Ten lines from the bottom, starting with the word uh, Tanya. We learned in our Mishnah that seven days before Yom Kippurim they would sequester the Kohen Gadol to a office called Lishkat Perhedrin. So the Gebarah says, Tanya Rabbi Yehuda, Tanya Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, V'chi Lishkat Perhedrin Aita, was the name of the office called Perhedrin? V'alo Lishkat Balvati Aita. Balvati is uh, aristocrats, which means it was called the office of the aristocrats. So the Gebarah says, make up your mind, what's the name? Ela Betechila Yukurin Ota Lishkat Balvati. Originally, they called it the Lishkat Balvati, the office of aristocrats, which means that's Lashon Hashivut, that's an important uh, name. But what was happening in the times of the second Bet HaMikdash, during the reign of the Hashmonaim, the Kohanim started to pay for the position, which means the Kehuna now became a position that was bought, which means it was filled with corruption. So what would happen? They would, every year, another Kohen would serve. And the Gemara is going to tell us later why. Because they all died. Because they weren't worthy to walk into the Kodesh Kodeshim. So there was a constant uh, influx and turnover of Kohanim. What happened was, each Kohen would make renovations to the Lishkah. They would uh, add something to it and make it, uh, you know, personalize it by doing something to it. So it says, Ummahlifin Ota means they would change the office. The office would be renovated every 12 months. Kefarhedrin alalu, like these Faredrin, Faredrin would be like the offices of a king that are changed every year. Shemahlifin Otam, Kol Shenem Asar Chodesh. Which means they changed the name once the the Kehuna became corrupted, and every twelve months they were, you know, redoing the office. So therefore, as Musar to the Kohanim, the Hakamim called it Perhedrin. Perhedrin is officers, because it was the custom of kings that every twelve months they would change their offices. So they were like giving Musar to the Kohanim. Says, uh, you know, instead of Balbati, which is an aristocrat, which is Hashu, which was in the times of Shimon at Sadiq, which was the, uh, you know, from the, uh, the righteous Kohanim, after him already the name was changed. So you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Parhedrin, 
פקידי המלך, officers of the king, לשכת בלבתי לשון שרים, ככה הייתה נקלט לשכת שרים, בתחילה כל ימי שמעון הצדיק שהאריך ימים היו קונים אותה לשכת בלבתי, מתוך שנותנים ממון לכהונה, מתוך שכהני בית שני היו עומדים על ידי ממון שנותנים על כהונה גדולה למלכי בית חשמונאי Right, there was the bribes were paid to the kings of the Hashmonaim in order to get the Kehunashib. Mahalifino takol yab chodesh, kelomar, shereshaim ayu. These Kohanim were reshaim. Velo ayu motsiim shenatan. They wouldn't finish the year. Umamidim achir tahtav. They would always have to appoint somebody else in their stead. Vechol kohenim et hadeshba, soter ota ubone benyan naemen arishon. They would actually dismantle or destroy the first lishka and build a different one. So the lishka is uh, personalized on his name. Comes out that the lishka was renewed every year. We learned over there in Masechet Demai. Hanachtomin, Nachtomin, as she says, Halokhin tebuah me'amaaris. These are those, the bakers, that buy wheat from an amaaris. Limkor pat lashuk. Their intention is to sell bread to the market. Now, we know. When somebody purchases wheat from an Amaaris, that wheat is called Demai. Damai. What is this? Why? What's the question? Even though Rov Amaaris Ma'asrinin, even though the majority of Amaaris did take their Ma'asrot, meaning they would give the Ma'asir uh, to the Levi, they would separate Ma'asir Shini, when necessary they would separate Ma'asir Ani. However, there was a substantial portion of the Amaris that did not take Maser. So at a certain point in history, the Hakamim made a takana that if somebody buys wheat from a Amaris, it's safik, and therefore you have to take Maser. You have to take specifically Maser Sheni, Koshinala to eat the fruit. It's considered safik tevil until you take the Ma'asrot. Now it should be pointed out that regarding Ma'asir Rishon, which goes to the Levi, or regarding, let's say, Ma'asir Ani, that goes to the poor people, even though you would separate it, however, you would not have to give it to the Levi'im or to the Ani'im. Why? Based on a principle, Hamotzi Mehavero Alavara'aya, which means, the Levi comes along and says, hey, give me my Ma'asir Rishon. You can tell him back, prove to me that this Amaharis did not give Ma'asir already. He's, you're only giving it because you have a safik. So you want to take money out of me, the burden of proof is on you to prove that you didn't get it already. That's called When you want to extract money from your friend, it's on him to bring a proof that the money belongs to him. So therefore, the Alakha would say, you separate Ma'asir Ishon, but the fellows are able to eat it. Because Ma'asir Ishon is not a sur to be eaten by Zarim. 
by strangers, by non Levi'im. So you separate it, so therefore it's not tevil anymore. And eat it. Ma'asid ani as well. Can be eaten by strangers. So therefore, that's how you deal with that. Your ma'asid sheni, generally speaking, you have no problem. Separate it. Bring it to Yerushalayim and eat it in Yerushalayim. You're not losing that anyway, because the owners eat ma'asid sheni. Regarding tirumah, tirumah the Gemara is going to tell us that goes to the Kohen. That's 2% that goes to the Kohen. Ame'a'aris were not suspected in Tiruma. They would give the Tiruma. Either because uh, the punishment of eating Tiruma or eating uh, the fruit that you didn't take Tiruma is Mita. So therefore it's very serious. So they would give Tiruma. Or some explain the reason why they would give Tiruma because it was very cheap. You only had to give, according to the Torah, it's even Hita'ahat. One uh, grain is poteh the whole pile. Ten uh, percent is something substantial. But Hita'ahat they would give. So that's basically the, the order when somebody buys something from an Amaris. Again, his Masir Yishon, he separates, but he can eat it. His Masir Ani, he separates, he can eat it. He separates Masir Shani, takes it to Yerushalayim, and eats it. Uh, regarding Tirumot, Tirumot, he has no problem because uh, the Amaris does take Tirumah. But there's one more thing. It's called Tirumat Masir. Or as we call it, ma'asir min ma'asir. When you would give the levi his ten percent, he would have to take ten percent of that and give it to the kohen. So technically, if you had a hundred uh, hundred bushels, so ten bushels would go to the levi. In this case, you would just separate it and eat it yourself. But one of those, one out of the hundred, would go to the kohen. So terumat ma'asir also is the Hayyub Mita. That's a uh, serious uh, transgression, which means you cannot eat your... Um, how should I say? You should not allow to eat your wheat until you take Tirumat Maaser. Ame'aret did not take Tirumat Maaser. Why? Because they rationalized it, and they said, well, since we're not taking Maaser, they didn't think they're obligated in Tirumat Maaser. Listen, maybe you're only obligated in... If you're giving the ma'asir to the Levi, then already there's a ayyuf to the Levi to give that 10% of that to the Kohen. But if you're not taking the ma'asir, so yeah, you know, you bypass the whole uh, issue. But it doesn't matter. In this wheat, there is 1% that belongs to the Kohen. So the deen is that whoever buys something from an Amaharis would have to take ma'asir and ma'asir and give it to the Kohen. In that case, you can't eat it. Because Tirumat uh, Maser only goes to the Kohen. So therefore, it's not like you can tell the Kohen, What are you going to do with it? You, you can't do anything with it anyway. Because if it belongs to the Kohen, only a Kohen can eat it. It's Asur, Lezarim. So Tirumat Maser, you give to the Kohen. But Al-Gimara is going to say is one specific deen. Then it comes from the Mishnah Masechet Demai. It's going to say like this. Hachamim made a special takana that a Nachtom Talmid Hakam. A scholar that is involved in buying wheat from a artist and to sell it, to resell it as bread, they exempted him from ma'asir shini. He does not have to give ma'asir shini. Normally, you gotta buy some amaris. We said take ten percent, go up to Yerushalayim. The tamid hakam nachtom, you're exempt. The Gemara is going to tell us the reason why. Let's read it inside there. Tenanatam an 
the bakers. Lo chibui otam hakamim lafdish ela terumat maaser. The only thing that they obligated him to separate was terumat maaser, which is maaser and maaser. They give to the kohen vehala, and also hala. Hala is one forty-eighth of the produce, which goes to the kohen. So only kohen items. Needed to be separated. So, I understand why Tiruma Gedola, they're not obligated. Netanya, because we have a Braita. Yohanan Kohen Gadol, he was the one that instituted the law of Demai. So, Yohanan Kohen Gadol went around all of Israel and he surveyed them. He saw that Aris. A large portion of them, they were giving, uh, or all of them were giving Tirumagadola, but they weren't giving their Masrot. So Tirumagadola wasn't a problem, because Amaras would give Tirumagadola, as I explained to you why. Either because of the severe penalty of eating Tiruma, or because it's very easy to separate it. Masir Rishonu Masir Ani Nami. I understand why they didn't have a problem with Masir Shirin, Masir Rishonu Masir Ani. Hamotzi Mechaveru Alavaraya. Like I explained to you. You would just separate the Masir Rishon and you would eat it. You'd have to give it to the Levi. Because you could tell the Levi, prove to me that this guy didn't take his Masrot. Masir Ani is in the third and the sixth year of Shemitah. The Ani comes, hey, that's my stuff. Yeah, it's your stuff, prove it, it's your stuff. Prove me that this guy that I bought it from didn't give. So therefore, those I understand Tirumagedola, I understand Maser Rishon, Maser Ani, Ela Maser Sheni, but Maser Sheni Nifreshu Vinisku, let them separate it, let them go up Vinichlu Birushalayim, which means there you have a sefik. Maybe they take Maser Sheni, separate it, go up to Yerushalayim and eat it. Why, why did we exempt the Nahtom Tamid Hakam from his obligation of Ma'asir Shini? That's the Gemara's question. Answer, Amar Ula, Mitog Sheparhedrin Alalu Hoftin Oton Kol Yab Hodesh. Since these Parhedrin, the officers of the king, they would, Hovet literally means beat them every 12 months. Beat them with what? With taxes. They would tell them, literally, sell cheap. Sell cheap. Which means, uh, what they were doing was, they were putting a levying taxes on the people that were selling this uh, bread. So what happened is, the hakam is trying to make a living, but with all the taxes they put on him, he can't make a profit. Which they were telling him sell cheap, which means they weren't telling him to sell cheap, but that's what was happening. But all the taxes, they weren't able to make a profit. So the margin was very small. So therefore, law atrihunu rabbanan. So the rabbis did not mandate for them to go take the ma'asir sheni up to Yerushalayim. Which means, they got the extra 10%. They didn't have to take the extra 10%. So they did a chimim waive their rule of safik in the case of a tamir hakam. Now, there is a question amongst the uh, poskim, the ones that they sold it to. So now they sold it. So the ones that they sold it to, the Chavara would be Hayav in Ma'asir Shni. was just so the Hakam could make a little extra profit when he was selling his goods. It's because all the taxes they put on it. But the one that bought it, he would have to. So if you look at the uh, opinions over here, he says...
Look at the Dibura Metkila Nachtomim in Rashi. That's on the Amud Bet. Let's read that Rashi together and see if we can make a diuk over here. He's buying wheat from an Ama'aris in order to sell it in the Shuk. They didn't obligate him in Ma'asir Sheni, that's the 1%. But everybody else, they would have to take Maasir Shani to Yerushalayim. Right, the Maasir Rishon and Ani, you separate it, but you don't have to give it. We're talking about a nahtom that's a Since always involved in in selling, right? Which means they did not uh, obligate him to uh, take it up to Yerushalayim. Uh, and eat it or separate it. Why? Because he was a Tamir Hakam. Now what does this mean? So the Mephashim say like this. Mephashim say like this. So from Rashi it's mashma that they didn't obligate him to take it to Yerushalayim. But it's mashma that they obligated him to separate it. If you look at the last part of Rashi, uh, So they want to make a diuk over here. You don't have to separate the Masish and go up to Yerushalayim and eat over there, but it's mashma that they still had to separate it. And that's exactly what the Ridba holds, by the way. And that's what the Tosfot Arosh holds as well. But well, you wouldn't have to redeem it. Right. Well, you wouldn't have to redeem it. Because in Yerushalayim, you have to redeem it as well. You have to take the money to Yerushalayim. So it's much according to that she, you would have to do some type of separation. You wouldn't be able to eat it because maybe it is Maser Sheni. It's on, it's on you really to eat it. So therefore, could you just separate it and, and leave it just to get it out of table? But the point is they didn't him to, to have to go up. But the truth is, once you say that, that then already you're taking away their profits anyway. So the Kaurat, <laughs> it seems that you would be allowed to eat it, because otherwise you're, you're, you're defeating the whole purpose. The whole purpose was what? In order to keep their margins higher. If you tell them to start to separate, let's go to Nushalayim, so then what, is, what, what did you gain? The Tosfot Arosh clearly says, En sarikh gam nafish ma'asir sheni. Finished. You don't have to take it off at all. He says, Kevat shena derech lekroh azeh shem ma'asir sheni, v'neichol zot chutz mirushalayim. Ve'av shim lo afish ma'asir sheni, harezeh tebel, kan sabko al ken chenom ame'arats ma'asir do ha'mot al ma'asir sheni. That's the way we learned. That since majority of ame'arats do take their ma'asirot, here the Achamim said you can rely on the majority. You don't have to take your ma'asir sheni. We're not going to call it tebel. And therefore, you could eat, you could, uh, you could, uh, you could sell it. However, he says the data Rambam is shenachtom atzmo patum lafish maser sheni. Aval elokayach mena nachtom sarik lafish maser sheni veolei imalur shalaim opodeota. Rambam's opinion was that while the 
baker does not have to take malsishini, but if he sells it, the one he sells it to is obligated to take the ma'asir shini. Ma'asir no is hayaf. No, because the no, they would, they, there's no rov. They would not give terumot, and they would not. Yeah, rov would give them ma'asir. Correct. Can it air because there's no hamotzim haberu on that? What are you going to do? You're going to separate it. What are you going to do with it? You have to give it to the kohen. On the side that it belongs to the Kohen, you can't keep it. You can't eat it. So what are you going to do with it? You're stuck. You have no choice. You have to separate it. Once you separate it, what are you going to do with it? So give it to the Kohen. There's no options. You can't eat it. So what are you going to do? Separate. You have to separate it with Safik. Because he's saying in this case, they would not give their Terumat uh, uh, Maaseh. Because they would hold it not obligated. But they are obligated. So there's a piece of Kohen action in there. And that Kohen action, uh, if you eat it, you have to have a night over there. So therefore they would take it and give it to the Kohen. Terumat Maaseh. No options on that. The Gemara continues. My parhedrin. What is this word parhedrin? The Gemara says purse. Purse is the offices of the kings. Amar Rabba bar Barchanan bar Yochanan. My dichtiv. What does it mean when it says in the pasuk Yirat Hashem Tosif Yamim? Fear of God adds days to one's life. Ushnot l'sha'im tikzona. But the years of the Rishaim are shortened. Yirat Hashem Tosif Yamim, fear of God, adds uh, years to one's life, or days to one's life. Zeh Mikdash Lishon. This is referring to the Kohanim that served in the first bit of Mikdash. Sharamad Arba Meot Ve'asir Shanin. There was 410 years of Bet HaMikdash Rishon Velo Shemshubo Ela Yud Chet Kohanim Gedolim And in 410 years there was only 18 Kohanim that served According to the Gaon Mevilna the text is 12 Kohanim According to the Tosafot Riva'a 8 Kohanim The point is that there was very long life amongst the Kohanim that long 10 years in the Bet HaMikdash Bait Rishon because they were Tzaddikim so you see, at Hashem to fear of God gives a person long life. However, but the years of the Rishaim are shortened. That stood for 420 years. And there were more than 300 Kohanim Gedolim that served. Now, subtract the 40 years that Shimon al-Sadiq was the Kohen, and the 80 years that Yohanan Kohen Gadol served, that's 120 years right there, and 10 years that Yishmael ben Pavi was also a Tzadik served, that takes 130 years, and some say the 11 years that the Bil Azab ben Harsom served, so that takes you to the 141 years. So Basically, you had 159 years, and it's telling you you had uh, 300 kohanim. You see over here that what? Must be that at least once a year, which is even more, a kohen was dying. Because you had, in about 150 some odd years, you had 300 kohanim to give what I was telling you. So it's almost... Oh, it's four, yeah, okay, in, in, I'm sorry, it's 420 years, minus 150, uh, 141. So you have 279 years, 300 kohanim, so it's ratio about 
One coin per year would die. Why would they die? Because they went into the Kodesh Kodeshim and they, they weren't worthy of it. And uh, they would die. So it's saying, Ushnot Rishayim Tiksodna. The Rishayim, their lives are shortened. Amar Yohanan bin Turta. Actually, we have to read the Hagot Abach over here, gentlemen. If you go to the Hagot Abach, on your margin, Hagot Abach Aleph, Lo Tzishnato, Amar Yohanan bin Turta, Vekol Kach Lama, because they used to buy the kehuna with money. It's corruption. Like a pile of dinarim, of monies. That was a lady. Her name was Marta Baitos. She took a pile of money and she gave it to Yanai Malka. Until they appointed her husband, Yehoshua ben Gamla, as the Kohen uh, Gadol. So you see, there was uh, corruption all over the place. And the, 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 the noble ladies were, let's say, uh, you know, paying money to the kings in order to get their uh, appointee. I don't know if it's a husband, the truth is, but it means she wanted Yehoshua ben Gamla to be the Kohen Gadol for whatever reason. So she paid. She comes to Gemara and says, Ama Rabbi Yohanan bin Turta. So the Gemara says, and Rabbi Yohanan bin Turta said, Why was the Mishkan at Shiloh destroyed? Mishkan of Shiloh was the Mishkan in the times of Eliya Kohen. That Mishkan did not last, it was destroyed. So the Gemara wants to know why. Because there were two sins that were rampant in the times of the Mishkan Shiloh. There was a immorality and also disgracing the Korbanot. It says Eli was very old. Eli was the Kohen Gadol at the time. And he heard. What his children were doing to the Jewish people, they ate asher yishkebun et nashim, and that they would literally uh, sleep with the ladies. Hatsovot petach oil moed that would come in front of oil moed. Now she's the sons of Ali, which were the Kohanim Gedolim. It seems they were from the pasuk at least, and they were committing a form of uh, immorality. Gilu yarayot. So the Gemara says, what does this mean? Be'afagav da'amar bi'shemuel ba'nachmani. Even though we learned the Masechet Shabbat. Anybody that says that B'nai Ali committed that sin, that they slept with the ladies that came to the Mishkat to bring Korbanot, they're making a mistake. They didn't actually commit the grave sin like the Pasuk says. Of what did they do? A lady that gave birth. She's obligated to bring birds after she finishes a tahara process, she has to bring kinim to the Beit HaMikdash. Until she brings her kinim, she's not allowed to eat kodashim. She's not allowed to eat basar of a korban. Now, technically, the, a lady is allowed to be with her husband before she brings this korban. However, the ladies in that time had a custom to be mahmir on themselves, that they would not be with their husbands until they brought the korban, they were permissible to eat kodashim. So what happened? They would go to the Beit HaMikdash, or Shmishkan Shiloh. The sons of Ali were in charge. They would delay bringing the Kinim. Why? Because since the Kohanim do not eat from those Korbanot, it all goes on the Mizbech, it's an Ola and a Hatat. So therefore, they're not in it for them. So therefore, they would put them at the back of the line. They would take all the other Korbanot where they have a vig from it, where they have, uh, you know, uh, they can eat from it. So what would happen? They would delay them overnight. 
Now by delaying them overnight, they would refrain them from being with their husbands. So they would cause them to uh, uh, the, uh, uh, abstain from Piriyah from the Mitzvah of Piruru. So therefore the Pasuk considers as if they, they slept with them. They didn't sleep with them. Which means they, they, it's considered a Havon as, as just like, let's say, if somebody commits adultery. That person becomes Asur to the... That lady becomes Asur to the husband. So here also, by not bringing the Qur'an on time, they did something that was Osir the wives to the husband, Ki'ilu. And therefore, they get uh, the punishment uh, as such. Now, it should be pointed out that the Pasuk can be learned very simple. Ashin Yishkebun Hanashim, they caused the ladies to sleep over. Not that they slept with the ladies. They caused them to sleep over overnight because they did not take the, the Tayyar Qur'an on time. Shayu Shisha'ud Kinehim. Now, comes the Gemara and says, But the Pasuk considers it as if they slept with them. Now it should be pointed out, for this Avon of the Kohanim, which is really not an Avon as much as we thought it was, so we're going to destroy the whole Mishkan Shiloh, that's a severe punishment for a Ki'ilu, to destroy everybody. So the Ben Ishai explains like this, that when the leaders of a generation are sinning in a ki'ilu, then the generation sins in the actual sin. Because the generation, they look at the leaders. So if the leaders are committing a sin, ki'ilu shekhbum, so if the leaders can commit the ki'ilu, so we can commit the action, because the leaders create the uh, culture and the atmosphere of sin. So therefore, it says there was gilu arayot in the people. It just started from the Kohanim's uh, permissive attitude towards uh, you know, refraining the husbands uh, from their, or the wives from their husbands. Comes the Gemaran continues. It should be pointed out, the Pasuk says, Why does the Pasuk have to start off telling us that Ali was an old man? So the Radak explains, to tell us that that's why he wasn't serving as a Kohen Gadol. That's why he had to appoint his children to serve. Because if Ali was in the Beit HaMikdash and the Shiloh, this would not have happened. Uh, the Radak explains that even though there's no age limit on a Kohen Gadol, you, know, you don't uh, become uh, retired ever. So he says, but if the Kohen's hands start to shake... And they quiver, so then already he cannot serve. So the Pasuk saying, zakin. So therefore he wasn't there. He wasn't there, so he had to appoint his sons. That's when the corruption start, started. The Mitsudat David explains that it's just coming along uh, to justify maybe why Ali did not rebuke his children. Ali was already old. So he was weak. So he didn't have the strength to rebuke his children. And as we said, this was uh, going on. It should be pointed out. Okay, we explained that the reason why they uh, they delayed the korban is because they didn't have too much meat for them to eat from this korban at all. So therefore, it wasn't uh, worth it, uh, worthy for them. Okay, next thing. Kabbara says, Bezayon Kodashim. So what do we say? They also would defile the korbanot, the kodashim, the uh, sacrifices. How? Tikhtiv, because it says in the Pasuk, Gam betrenim yakhtirun etahalif. A guy would bring a korban. Normally, they put the halif on the mizbayah. After the halif goes on the mizbayah, then the kohanim get their masab that they entitled to. So what they would do was the kohanim of the sons of Ali, they would have their like like uh, agent working for them, their uh, their goon, 
and they would send him to the Mizbeah or to the people that were uh, bringing the Qurbanot before the hadith was even put on the mezbaya, uba na'ara kohen, the na'ara, that's the, uh, the agent of the kohanim, ve'amar la'isha zobayah, he would tell the Baal korban, tena basal litzlot la'kohen, which means, give us the meat now, give us the meat now, so we can roast it for the kohanim. We don't want to wait until it's roasted on the mizbaya, and then we're going to take it. We don't want it to be cooked. We're taking it raw. Which means they wanted to take it raw, they wanted to prepare it themselves. Okay? And they were asking for a certain amount of meat. Then they set the price. So the, the Baal of the Qurban would tell them, Let us bring the halim on the mizbayah first, and then uh, take whatever you want. They would say, no, 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 no. You're giving it to us now. And if you're not going to give it, we're going to take it by force. Which means it was a mafia. They were intimidating the uh, people to bring the korban that they want to meet. And they want it when they want it. They defiled the korban of Hashem. Which means they turned it into a, uh, a business racketeering. They were, they were taking stuff that didn't belong to them. So therefore, well, one of the avonot. Again, with the same logic, uh, the same logic over here, that if this was happening in the Beit HaMikdash, in the Shiloh, it must have been a very pervasive attitude regarding Stam, uh, Gezel, and Bezayon Kodashim, and therefore that brought to the destruction of Shiloh. Now, uh, some of the questions, uh, one Mephashim of asked the question, why is that called Bezayon Kodashim? This is, uh, it's more than Bezayon, it's Avera. You, you can't eat Basar of the Korban before they bring the Hanum on the Mizbaya. So it's more... Uh, they mistreated the Qur'an. He mistreated. This is blatantly Isur. So he says, um, from the, uh, the Greece of the Briskarov, She'en Isur ba'achilat kodem akhtarat emurim, ela she'en kan kiyum mitzvat akhilat kodashim. The Briskarov makes a haluk. He says, there's no sin to eat before you put the halib on the mitzvah. The point is you don't get a mitzvah. So that was the bizayon over here. Which means instead of eating it as kodesh, of getting a mitzvah to eat kodashim, they ate it prematurely. And therefore they did not fulfill the mitzvah of eating the basar kodesh. Even that's considered a bizayon. The mitzvah, because why not eat it when it's kodesh? Eat it when, it's, uh, when you get a uh, mitzvah? Why the Russian What did you cook it They don't want to wait till it was roasted. First of all, they would roast it on the mizbaya, then they would give it to the kohen. So they come and say, "We want to prepare ourselves. Give it to us raw. We're not waiting till it gets cooked." And uh, yeah, exactly, we want to take it. Uh, we want to take it ourselves. Comes the Gemara and says, "Mikdash Lishon, the first Beta Mikdash. Mepenema Harif. Why was the first Beta Mikdash destroyed?" Because there were three pervasive sins that took place in that generation. Avodazara is a cardinal sin of idolatry. Uh, that's of course immorality. And Shfichut Damim is murder. Avodazara, what does it mean? Avodazara, Because the passage is which literally means the bed 
or the couch was too short, for somebody to stretch out. My, what does this mean? Katsara matzah mistareya. The couch was too small for people to stretch out. Amar of Yonatan, katsar masaze. That's referring to the Beit Hamikdash. The Beit Hamikdash was very small. Mistarir alav shneri imke had to contain two literally friends at the same time. The Beit Hamikdash is God's house. Menashe, who was the king, he brought a salem. He was the Jewish king. He brought an Abu Dazara and put it in the Hechal. So as if they're saying, mm-hmm. There was not enough room on the couch for two people. So the Beit HaMikdash became very, very uh, uh, crowded when Minashe put the Abu Dazara inside the Beit HaMikdash. And the end of the Pasuk says, Which literally means, and the... Uh, the cover of the bed was narrow. It was curling up. And what does this mean over here? Ama Rabbi Shlomo Nachmani ki matar Rabbi Yonatan the high kerab b'achem when Rabbi Yonatan used to get to this pasuk he used to cry. Amar man dichtiv be kones kaned me hayam naasit lo masecha tzara. The God that it says on him, Kones Kaned Nayam. He took all the waters of Yamsuf when we came out of Mislayim, and he gathered them all and collected them all like in a jug. Just he split the sea. And now what does it say? That he had a rival with him in the Beit Megdash, which he's now became uh, 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 two God. They put Abu Dazara in the uh, in the Beit Megdash. So Nasitlo Masicha, this Masicha, which is the Salem, this image. That means Hashem put in. Now it becomes his rivalry. Normally they use this word Sarah when a person is married to two wives. So the wives are called Sarot to each other. Because now there's rivalry between them. There's jealousy and envy. Okay, but that's by human beings. But here now, God, Kivyachol, the great God that split the sea. Now already he has a competition. Ke'ilu in the Bet HaMikdash. He used to cry. He says, what a, what a travesty. What a, uh, what a shame. Okay, so that's Abu Dazara. Gidu Yarayot. Dekhtiv. Because of the daughters of Zion, they were arrogant. They walked with their neck uh, extending outward. And they also used to gazing eyes. You have umsekerot? Yeah. Okay, I have umsekerot, but I'll double check the right word for that. Yes, um sekerot. Okay, it's a mistake in this text. Um sekerot einayim. They would have gazing eyes. Haloch v'tafof telachta. They would walk like they were floating. Ubraglein te'akasna. And in their uh, feet, they would te'akasna. Uh, the Gemara will explain. Uh, spew venom. We'll see what that means. How they spew venom in their feet? We'll see now. The Gemara's daughters. Ya'an ki gabhu benot Sion. The daughters of Sion were arrogant. Shayu mehalchot haruka besad ketsara. They specifically, the uh, tall ones, would walk next to the short ones in order to pronounce their tallness. They wanted to show how beautiful they were. So what would they do? They would make sure when they were walking down the street to walk next to a short girl. So now it goes, oh, look how tall this one is. She, she looks taller than she is because she's walking next to a, uh, a show. So they were, they were trying to be conspicuous so the people should look at them. So what did they do? They would uh, give who? They made themselves taller than they even were by walking next to a short one. 
ותלכנה נטויות גרון שהיו מלכות בקומה זקופה and they would walk with a you know, upright position in an arrogant way ומסקרות עיניים תאבו מליאן כוכלן עיניהן they would put a lot of kuchla, uh, like a mascara, in their eyes, a lot of makeup. And the Gemara Shabbat says also, they used to wink to the, to the people that were walking by. They would walk as if they were floating. They would take very short steps. They would put the akev, the heel, would be by the toe. Which means heel to toe they would walk. Very, very short steps in order to make a, uh, a scene. With their, their feet were spinning out, uh, with their legs they would spit out venom. Mm-hmm. They would take uh, balsam and different types of besamim. They would put it in their shoes, full flasks of this besamim in their shoes. When they would get next to the, the boys of Israel, they would bang their feet on the ground, and what would happen? The flask would crack, and the besamim would squirt on them. They would smell the the besamim. They would smell the fragrance of the girl of the lady. And they would instill in them, infuse in them yitzrara like a venom of an angry snake, which means uh, that would cause them to be enticed. Now, of course, we're talking about over here ladies that were married. And therefore it's Eshet Ish over here, which means they were going around and the Chazbe Shalom, they were committing Gidu Arayot. So that was another reason why the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. Abu Nazarah, Gidu Arayot. The third sin was murder. The Pasuk says that the murdered so many people. Throughout Yerushalayim, it was from from Pelape, from corner to corner, literally, was filled with uh, blood and the uh, corpses of dead people. Aval Mikdash Sheni, Shayu Oskim, but Torah Mitzvot Gnuot Hasadim. But in the second Beit Hamikdash, they were learning Torah, they were also fulfilling Mitzvot, they were doing Gnuot Hasadim. Bepenei Macharev, why was it destroyed? Bepenei Shaitabos and Atchinam, because there was baseless hatred. So you see that Sinat Hinnam is tantamount to the three cardinal sins. Because here in the first Beit HaMikdash you had the three sins. In the second Beit HaMikdash you didn't have those sins. You had just Sinat Hinnam. And still the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed nonetheless. Comes again and says, uh, In the times of the first Beit HaMikdash, you have to know that the people were the Sha'im. But they put their faith in Akadosh Baruch Hu. Atan the Mikdash Rishon. This is referring to the attitude that the people had in the first bet of Mikdash Dichtiv. The leaders they were taking briberies to judge. And the Kohanim for a price were giving judgment. And the prophets bechesef yiksomu. They were prophesizing for money. But on God, everybody relied. Lemor, and they would say, "Hello, Hashem bekerbenu. God is with us. Nothing bad is going to happen to us." So God brought three decrees on them. Keneged the three sins that they had amongst them. Number one, Sion Sadeh. These fields of Sion became plowed over. 
Jerusalem became destroyed, and uh, the Temple Mount became like a desolate forest. Now, comes the Mephashim and explain, what does this mean that they put their trust in God? If they're committing all these sins, how at the same time it says, On God they trusted. So I saw one of the Mephashim explain it like this. Their opinion was that as long as the Beit HaMikdash is around, the Zechut of the Beit HaMikdash, nothing can happen to us. The Korbanot, the Kohanim, they said the Beit HaMikdash is too powerful and too much of a Zechut, so therefore it's a protection. It's going to save us. They say a mashal to a, uh, a painter that was on top of a cliff. And he had his canvas and he drew a beautiful painting. Now he wants to see if the painting came out to his liking. So he needs to step back a little to get a perspective. So he steps back three steps. And he can't see it uh, the way he likes to see it yet. It's not uh, clear. So he steps back three more steps. And as he steps back, he's getting closer to the edge of the cliff. And now his friend that's standing by the canvas starts to scream at him, Hey! Stop! You're going you're gonna to fall off the cliff. But the painter is so focused on the painting that he doesn't hear. Takes another step back. And the guy's screaming, stop, you're going to fall off the cliff. And he doesn't hear him because he's so concentrating on the canvas. So he keeps on walking. But now he's at the edge of the cliff. So the friend's screaming, so he has no choice. To, to, how is he going to stop the guy from going off the cliff? So he grabs the canvas and he destroys it. The guy comes running back. What are you doing? They say, my, the nimshal is that Am Yisrael had their eyes focused on the Beit HaMikdash. And they were falling off the cliff, which means they were, they were sliding off of the, the, the religion. The prophets would come along and rebuke them, but what? Their eyes were focused on the Beit HaMikdash. They couldn't hear any, any, any rebuke. The Beit HaMikdash is going to save us. We're good. We're protected. And they kept on getting further and further away. And the Nevi'im were giving them rebuke. But what? They didn't hear it because their eyes were on the Beit HaMikdash. So God had no choice but to destroy the Beit HaMikdash. So, hey, what happened? They, then they, they realized that they were not able to rely on it anymore. Comes the Gemara and says, What do you mean? In the first Beit HaMikdash, you don't think they had baseless hatred? Maketiv, it says in the Pasuk, which literally means My nation were uh, uh, girded with uh, spears. They would spear uh, each other. What does those words mean? Sefok el yarech. So therefore, Borei uh, Olam had to punish them. This is referring to people that were eating and drinking together. But they would uh, spear each other with daggers. What kind of daggers? With their tongues. Which means uh, they would. There was uh, people that were sitting together, eating and enjoying the first bit of Mikdash. But what? They were roasting each other. They were, you know, uh, poking fun at each other and then doing things like that. So the Gemara, it seems there was sinat kanam even in the first bit of Mikdash. So the Gemara says, "Hai bin The first bit of Mikdash, that was only the leaders, in the hakamim or the presidents of the tribes of the Kai Israel. They were involved in this type of behavior. Adam 
Tamudomar ibechon Israel, which means they would uh, scream at each other and uh, 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 call out to each other. And who was doing that? Meaning in a negative way. That was only the nisiim. So I saw from Rav Isaac Sher, he tries just to give an example of what this type of behavior was. What do you mean? If they were sitting and eating together and drinking, that's why they were friends. So what are they sitting and eating together and then? You know, uh, knocking each other and uh, embarrassing each other with their, uh, with, with their, their tongues. So the, he explains something we can understand that they had a custom by the Ashkenazim, let's say by a, uh, a wedding. They would hire a badhan, and the badhan would get up and sing what they call gramans, which means they would start making fun of the different members of the family in poetic form. Now, of course, everybody's it's fun, everybody's laughing, but meanwhile, people are getting uh, offended, people are getting embarrassed. All that's on Purim, he said where the people would come along and make poems and make fun of the rabbis and make fun of the faculty and the, and the people in the school so this is exactly what we're talking about you're sitting together, you're eating a drink together but what? it's based on everybody knocking, knocking and making well, so this is Sanat Panam as well so it started in the first Beit HaMikdash by the leaders and it trickled down eventually by the times of the second Beit HaMikdash all the way to the people and therefore the second Beit HaMikdash was destroyed because of that Amar Rabbi Yohanan Better is the nail of the earlier generations from the stomach or the abdomen of the later generations. Huh? I skipped a look. Okay, Rabbi Yohanan, Rabbi El Azad, the Amni Tarvayu, the Shonim, the generation of the first Betamikdashinit Galle Avonam. Which means they exposed their sins. They didn't hide their sins. They were, what you saw is what you got. They committed the three cardinal sins. They did it explicitly. So the end was also exposed to them. Seventy years galut, and then they're going to come back. However, But the second Beit Hamikdash, where they covered up their sins, which means it was a hat which means uh, everybody would walk around as if they were very pious. However, meanwhile they were bearing grudges in their heart. There was Sanat Kanam, that was already in their heart. So therefore, Lonet Galekitsam. So therefore, their end, their redemption was not exposed as well. Meaning, we're still in the Galut. It's open ended. It was still, which is much worse to be two faced. Like the Gemara of Kamas says, the Ganav is worse than the Gazlan. The Ganav is one that steals by night. So as if he's showing that uh, he's scared of people, but he's not scared of God. Where the Gazlan, he's consistently, he goes in the, in the open day, he steals. Here, at least, the Ganav is worse because he's putting the fear of man higher than the fear of God. So the same thing over here, they were two faced, these people. And the second Beth Mikdash. To that, the Gemara says, Amar, Rabbi Yohanan, Better is the nail, the fingernail of the Rishonim, of the first generations, than the abdomen of the second generations. Amar, Lelish Lakish, Adrabah. You know what? I, I look at it on the contrary. The later generations are better than the earlier generations. Why? Even though they have the subjugation of the kings, which the Goyim are persecuting us in the Galut, but they're still learning Torah, which means much harder for the later generation than the early, early generations that had their own autonomy. Therefore, it was easy for them to learn Torah. But the later generation that they were under the subjugation of the Goyim and they're still learning Torah, it's a bigger challenge. So the Shtakish defended the later generations. Amar so Rabbi Yohanan says, Very simple. I'll prove it here for the Beit HaMikdash. Mm-hmm. Haronim. 
bottom line, the Bet HaMikdash came back after the first Bet was destroyed, but it didn't come back for the second generation. How can you tell me the second generation, meaning the generation of the Bayit Chini was better than Bayit Rishon? After Bayit Rishon was destroyed, it came back. So you see, the sin must have been not that great, as much as the Bayit Chini. Shalu et Rabi Al-Azhar. Rishonim Gedolim or Harim Gedolim? Who is greater? The generation of the first Bet HaMikdash or the generation of the second Bet HaMikdash? Amar lahem tenu enechem babira. So the first thing he told them, look at the Bet HaMikdash. What, what, what's, the, what, what, what's the discussion? It's there. Which means, the first Bet HaMikdash was rebuilt, the second Bet HaMikdash was not. Tenu enechem babira. Ikad amri amar lahem edechem bira. Your witness is the bira. So basically it seems he was telling them the same thing twice. Either look at the Bira or your witness is the Bira. So I saw one of the Fashim explain beautifully over here. It's two different things he was saying. The first thing he was saying like this, Tinu Look at the Bira. Meaning, the first Petta Mikdash was not totally destroyed. The Guim just destroyed the roof of the first Petta Mikdash. But the structure itself remained intact. Whereas the second Petta Mikdash, the entire building was raised to the ground. So therefore, he was saying, look, look, look at the way the Bedouin was destroyed. The first Bedouin was destroyed only in a partial manner. But the second Bedouin was totally destroyed. So what does that tell you? That the earlier generations must have been better than the later generations. Second thing, your proof is the Betamikdash. Meaning, the fact that the first Betamikdash was rebuilt, uh-huh. and the second Betamikdash was not, that's already a testimony that the first generation was better than the second. So it's two separate things. The first one is, look at the way it was destroyed. And the second thing is, look at the way the first one was rebuilt, and the second one was not. Rishtakish Rishtakish was swimming in the Jordan River. So the Babar Bahana came. So he stuck his hand out in order to help the Shtakish come out of the water. He pull him out of the water. Amalis, the Shtakish said, Elaha. He made a swear on God's name as if to say, Sanena Lehu. He says, I hate you people from Babel. The Shtakish was from Eris Israel. Uh, Rababar Barhana was from Bavil. So when he stuck his hand, he says, I swear to you, I hate the people from Bavil. Why? Because in the time of Ezra, you did not come up with Ezra from, uh, uh, from Bavil to go build the second Beit HaMikdash. Ezra lived in Bavil. There was a movement by, started by Ezra, Sufair, to go back to Israel to build the second Beit HaMikdash. But a lot of the people of Bavil were very comfortable there. So they didn't go up. So the Shakish is blaming and saying it's their fault because if they would have went up to build it unitedly, the Beit Hamikdash would have been built forever. But because the people of Babel did not go back with Ezra, they ruined it for us. So he was taking it out on uh, Ababa Rahana. The only question is, what do you want from Ababa Rahana? He didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't in that generation. I, I hate these Babylonians. So what reminded him was because. Rishtakish was from Eretz Israel. Rababar Barhana was from Babel, as I explained. And it seems Rababar Barhana was showing great respect for Rishtakish. He was helping him uh, come out. So he's saying, if only your grandparents would have a love of the people of Eretz Israel like you do. Because he was respecting Rabbi Israel. He said, Hava, he was reminded. He said, the respect that you have for me because I'm from Eretz Israel, you're pulling me out of the water. Means you respect me. If only your great great grandparents in the times of the second Bet HaMikdash, if they would have went back and had the same respect for Eretz Israel like you do, the Bet HaMikdash would not have been destroyed. In any way, what's the Pasuk Dikhtiv? Im Chomai 
If it's a wall, it'll be built like silver. silver. What's tira? What's the word tira? Silver crown. Yeah. But if it's a door, yes. we will uh, fortify it or surround it like a cedar plank. What does it mean? If the Jewish people would have made themselves like a wall, what is a wall? A wall is made up of bricks. But it's all united. All the bricks are connected to each other to make one entity. If the Jewish people would have been united like a wall, and go up to Yerushalayim in the times of Ezra, Ba'alitim kulichim bimeazra, nimshaltim kekesef. The Beit HaMikdash would have been compared to like silver, she'en rekev sholetbo. Silver never deteriorates, it never decays. However, Rakshan shalitim kudilatot. But now that you came up like doors, doors are two doors, meaning you came up in halves. You came up uh, partially, now we're ready. What happened? Nimshaltim ke'eriz, sharekev sholetbo. Now the Beit HaMikdash was compared to what? Luah eriz. Wood. What happens to wood? It decays. For example, you have the termites that come along and they're able to eat away from the wood. So therefore, since you came up like doors, meaning you were split like a door, so therefore the Beit HaMikdash also now became uh, destroyed. Comes the Gemara and says, My Eris, what does it, why, why, why does it mean you're comparing it to an Eris, to a cedar tree? Amar Ula Sasmagor. We're really referring to the... A tree of cedar that has in it a worm called the sasmagor. Yeah. What does the sasmagor do? It eats the tree from the inside. And therefore, it hollows it out. And eventually, what happens to it? It falls. My sasmagor. What is this sasmagor over here? Amar bi bat kol. Which means like this. Why do they compare the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash to the way a sasmagor eats away at the uh, tree? So the Gemara says, Batkol. Batkol. She's saying like this, in the times of the second Beit HaMikdash, there was no more Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh stopped. There was no prophecy at the time of the second Beit HaMikdash. What replaced Ruach HaKodesh and Nevu'ah was what's called Batkol. Batkol was like a, uh, a heavenly voice, call it an echo from the Shamayim, but it's a lower level. So it's as if to say that, uh, yes, the structure was still up. You saw the, the wood, but it was hollowed out. Just like the uh, worm hollows out the... Mm-hmm. But you, yeah, you had something, you had a bat call, but the essence of Ruach HaKodesh, the main uh, inside, you didn't have it. That's why it compares the destruction of the Megdash to a hollowed out piece of cedar. Take the Gemara says. Which means, oh yeah, there's a little leftover of the tree uh, left. Which is after those three prophets passed away, that was the end of the Vua, then all they had was a bat call. Comes the Gibran and concludes. Did the Shlakish allow himself to talk? To Rabbi Rabbi I was talking to him. Well, your grandparents, no, he's giving him a whole conversation. The Gemara cannot accept this. Did the Shtakish talk to Rabbi Rabbi Why? Gemara says, Umar Rabbi El Azar. Regarding Rabbi El Azar, Demare Daradi Israelabai. He was like the chief rabbi of Israel, Rabbi El Azar. And the Shtakish would not talk to him. Demand the Shtakish Badi Bashuk. Because anybody that would the Shtakish would talk to in the marketplace, they would trust that person, would have so much credibility for the Shagish, would talk to them, that they would lend money to that person, or do business with that person, without witnesses. 
Which means, it seems that Shakish did not talk to too many people. <laughs> so if Shakish talked to somebody, that already was a, a sign of kashrut. Which is a stamp of approval. That's so much so, because Shakish was known for in the integrity. And therefore, anybody that he talked to, it's a sign that he must be uh, very honest. So therefore, he would limit not to talk to too many people. Let me fashion explain why. Because Shakish knew that reputation. So he didn't want to now... He knew that by talking to one person over another person, mm-hmm. it's going to disparage other people. So the Shagid basically was uh, quiet. very quiet. He didn't talk to, to anybody. And if I should explain it, because originally the Shagid was a robber himself. Mm-hmm. And therefore he didn't trust too many people. Because, uh, know. you know, from, the, from his previous uh, life there. So therefore he would be very, very cautious who to talk to. But if he would talk to somebody, that would show, oh, must be this guy is very trustworthy. So the Shagid really would limit talking to anybody. He wouldn't even talk to the Mila Hazar, the chief rabbi of Israel. So he's talking to the Baba Rahana. I mean, Baba Rahana was nowhere like the Mila Hazar. So the Gemara says that. Again, so the Gemara's question is the Shtakish who would not talk to even the Mila Hazar, the chief rabbi of Israel. How do you allow himself to talk to Baba Rahana? Amar Papa Switch the names amongst them. Meaning, switch the names of the story. How? Or the Shlakish Hava, or explain that Shlakish was the one that was swimming, Uzaidi. And it was Zaidi that helped him out. Or Rababar Barhanava, or Rababar Barhana is the one that pulled out who? The Rabbi Al Azar. Rabbi Al Azar, the one that was swimming. Now, according to the second version, we understand that Shlakish wasn't involved over there. Or the second one. Second version is Rabbi pulled out the Bil Hazar. Okay, it's a different uh, different story. Or uh, we explain or we explain differently. That really the Shakish was the one that swung, but he pulled out Zaidi. And why would he talk to Zaidi? It seems Zaidi had a reputation on his own. Which means the Shtakish, by talking to Zaidi, nobody would say, Ah, oh. oh, yeah, Zaidi must be Adam Hashuv, and therefore everybody else is not. No. Zaidi, on his own right, everybody knew was Adam Gadol and Hashuv. Uh-huh. So therefore, the Shtakish didn't have a problem to talk to Zaidi. Because his talking to him would not disparage the other people. people. So therefore, people like Zaidi, it's not a problem. But Abba didn't have that reputation. So therefore, the Gemara substitutes. Uh, Rabbi Rahana for Zaidi. Baruch Allah, Amen, Amen.